Mount in the middle. And what a finish that is. Mason Mounts. That is extraordinary from Fikayo Tomori. Loses Callum Hudson. And oh, there it is. His first goal. For Chelsea, the teenager. A moment he will remember. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chelsea Spot podcast. This episode is pretty much just going to be a massive discussion on the biggest talking point around the club and that is Mr Graham Potter. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by a friend of the pod, someone who has the famous quote of, can't handle Potter at his worst, then you don't deserve him at his best. It's Nick. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on. What's going on, Bree? Thanks. You didn't have to do me like that. <laughs> you tweeted it. You tweeted it. <laughs> nah, yeah, I'm I'm corny, but uh, nah, nah, that that was a that was a lovely inside joke, which I thought I had to get in. Um, but yeah, Graham Potter is what we're going to be discussing today. Um, I will give a warning that both of us, myself and Nick, are very much on the side of let's keep Potter, and we are yeah. Potter in. Um, but that doesn't mean. We're not seeing the other side. We're not understanding the other arguments. I will be trying to challenge it and sort of seeing it from the other perspective as much as possible. Um, But yeah, that's just a warning I'd give. Um, My first question to you is actually about sort of his negatives. And it's where do you think he specifically is going wrong? Like Obviously, we know there's context, but where do you think he is going wrong? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things... uh, definitely one of the biggest complaints I have has kind of been the lack of minutes for some people in the squad who I, who I think kind of are big in our plans for the next few years, such as Carney Chukwameka or, or Lewis Hall. Um, especially since the new signings have come in, I've, I've felt their minutes. Um, I don't even think we've seen Carney since the Liverpool game um, or maybe even Lewis for, for example, um, so seeing the, the, their two minutes go down um, and sometimes they don't even make the bench um, as opposed to having somebody like Ziyech come sub in or or even, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on, on, on Mount and Gallagher because I think we know their form at the moment, but I think Carney has shown more than both of them when he's come on and subbed on and been more of a impact sub. Um, so I think he's deserved at least a chance to mix in there and, and, and show what he can do. Cause I, honestly, I don't think either of them have been poor um, and they figure into the long-term plan. So that's my biggest complaint with Potter at the moment, besides like the obvious things in, in terms of the results and the performances, but there's a lot of context behind that. And, and I'm sure we'll get, get into that a little bit. So I would just like him to be a little more courageous um, with the, with the teams he selects and, and with who he brings off the bench. I completely agree. I think we were sort of praising him before the 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 break we had. Like he's starting to use Hall, he's starting to use Carney. Yeah. You know, he gave minutes to Hutchinson and Humphreys and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, you know what? The season is over. At least he's starting to think for the future. But it's now it's we sort of gone back to square one. Um, yeah. And it's just like, like really, what is the point? In the Premier League, the season is over. Like it's very simple. We're yep. not getting top four, so it's over. Um, so in that sense, it's like, why are we playing players who either, you know, are in really, really bad form? Secondly, who are either like refusing to sign a contract or are set to leave in the summer? Um, 
And thirdly, why aren't we paying? Why aren't we paying players who we have signed to help us out in the next decade? For example, your Carney Chukwemekas, or literally someone from your own academy in Lewis Hall. And again, it's not that it's not them needing to start every game. And you could say they're worse players than some of the guys. But as I said, the season's over. Form, you know, we're off the charts, and we were actually playing fine. Like when Lewis Hall was starting, for example, yeah, the results weren't going our way, but I don't think we got anywhere near as bad to the Southampton performance, for example. Yeah. Um, and this is again, I've said it so many times. This is a midfielder playing at left back, um, right, with two proper left backs in front of him, and he threw them out of the team pretty simply, and didn't really do anything wrong he made what one mistake versus Fulham and a lot happened even after that mistake I'm saying in that goal like it still could have been defended and yeah, yeah he should have scored a few chances and things like that but come on this is an 18 year old a second year scholar um you know he's he's very young he's not a left back and he's still got so much ability which we've seen um so I think yeah I think that's definitely one of my big criticisms of Potter himself is like Especially, especially knowing that he's got this time. I mean, there was this massive media briefing yesterday, and I, I'm not, I'm, I've got no shame in saying like it was a media briefing. It was really obvious. Um, but like, he's clearly set to stay. Fabrizio came out saying it. Matt Law came out saying it. David Ornstein came out saying it. He's here, going to be here for years. Like, they're willing to give him a lot of time. Um, so Potter needs to respect the fact that okay he can't take the piss in assuming he has 10 years of time but you do need to start thinking about the future the biggest criticisms well the biggest sort of justification we've given for managers in the last five ten years of not using the academy is that roman would sack them straight away if you know they get three or four bad losses but as you can see so far potter we've won two in 15 and he isn't close to being sacked so it's time to start using the academy. Start to start thinking a bit more in the future. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, just one, one more yeah, point on. on that. Like, uh, it. I don't know how communication was between manager and and owner under under Roman. Seems like it wasn't really that collaborative, to be honest. Especially those later years. I know Bowley and and Potter speak quite frequently, um, and so if there was a situation where he was having a lot of young guys in the team, Carney and Lewis, and the results weren't going their way, it could it's something where there would be dialogue between the owner and Potter and there would be understanding between the two. It's not like there wouldn't be a communication where, you know, things were being misunderstood or anything like that. So that's just another reason why there's really no excuse for, for him not doing this. Yeah. Um, have you got any other problems with Potter? Yeah, there are some tactical things. Um, okay, yeah. Some tactical things that, that I'm seeing that I don't like, but I think a lot of that can also fall under context. I, I think when we're talking about tactics, um, a lot of people fail, fail to realize just how many new players we have and kind of how um, abnormal that is for all of them to come in at once. Um, in addition to having it, we have a, a very bloated squad right now. Um, and it's and it's something that's honestly quite unreal how many people we have. Um, just I I think I saw the number was thirty three or something like yeah, that, which, yeah. which is un, unreal. 
amount of players. Um, it's almost like a baseball team, honestly. Um, they're, they're kind of the field that I come from. And, and I just know how difficult it was to keep all those people on the same page. And you just have a whole lot of different cliques and groups um, in that squad. You have, you know, the people who have been there a few years. you got the new guys. You have people who have one foot out the door. So there's a lot of people with very different goals and agendas at the, at the end of the day, just at the moment in the squad. Um, and so I think that's sometimes why we see some of those weird decisions from from Potter um but it's not a full excuse right because he seems like he does have all the power and time in the world right now to kind of make strong decisions and not have any consequence for them um but in terms of the tactics it it can be really tough to kind of implement a pattern or patterns of play I know that's a that's a phrase we like to throw out there um it's tough when you have players who some of them don't know if they're going to be here next year or not. So how much are they willing to buy in or, or actually listen to him? Um, I think if you kind of go around and, and research a little, I, I like to read a lot about very successful organizations and teams, whether, you know, it's in sport or just in the business world. Um, a lot of the very high performing organizations place a lot of emphasis around team building and culture and having a vision and identity that, you know, their decisions kind of follow under that umbrella of, of a key vision. And I think Todd Bowley and, and co have made that vision very clear for, for what we're trying to accomplish in terms of being sustainable, um, a smartly run club, um, very much like a bigger Brighton, right? I know we can make that joke all day, but Brighton are very <laughs> smartly run. Um, and it, and it seems that we're just trying to kind of enter the the new age of football because things were kind of getting we weren't really catching up with with the rest anymore. We were kind of being left behind um, under Roman, um, unfortunately. Um, so just with this uh, this new direction, I, I think a lot of what Potter is doing at the moment is a lot of getting to know guys. Even still, he's got new players. Um, he still hasn't been there for for as long as it seems because there was a huge World Cup in the middle of everything, right, where a lot of his guys were gone. So he hasn't had the actual full squad, everybody together for as long as we think. Um, and so the relationships are still being formed on that front. Culture is still being built. Um, and I think, honestly, a lot of his time and effort is going into that right now. I really don't think we'll see a, a lot of... Uh, of his football until he has a preseason to kind of work with the players um, because it's really tough to do it midseason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like he came in at the beginning of the year. I know people like to compare what's going on with Ten Hag right now at United. Uh, you know, he came in, had a full preseason to implement things. Potter came in in the middle of the year. It, it, there's a huge difference whether people recognize it or not. Um, and so for the tactical side, um, that I haven't liked so far, I am willing to give him more slack just because of, you know, the difficulty around the situation. And I feel if it's not in, you know, if we don't see it in preseason, um, then we have issues, real issues that we need to address. But until then, I wouldn't really expect to see a huge, like, rec- recognizable Potter ball. Like, I wouldn't expect to see that until next year. Mm. 
I think, yeah, I think you made a really nice point on sort of the squad. And I was actually going to mention exactly that about preseason. Like, it's ridiculous to expect a bit too much from a manager or I should say head coach when they haven't had a preseason. And then you put on top of that that it's a 33-man squad. Um, he's sort of been... He's he's sort of been chucked into like a difficult situation, albeit for the best, you know, of, you know, thinking about the club long term wise. And that's why we did sign these, what, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever players in January. (laughs) Okay, the squad is now fucked for the next four months, but hopefully we get things sorted in the summer. And then you're looking at one of the best squads in the country or in Europe in hopefully one to two years time. And that's the long term vision which Todd has. and you can quite clearly see that as well. And that's, you know, even more significant, even more emphasised by the fact that he isn't close to sacking Graham Potter. Um, So I think that's just going to be the case. Um, I think I have a a stance at the moment where with, you know, with a clear out in the summer, with additions needed in the transfer market, and with a few of the guys on loan getting into the squad, we're going to have a very, very good 25-man squad. And at that point, when you have a squad which will be as good as ours, I you don't I don't think you need a special, special head coach, or for example, right. for them yeah. to do things with this coach. And you just need a guy who knows how to sort of manage a team. And Graham Potter, in my opinion, is absolutely that guy. Like, he has shown... At, every single one of his managerial stints that he is very, very good tactically. We all know his stuff about um, one-to-one management and that seems to be a real positive. So, you know, when we have the good squad, when he has what he wants, I think he's going to be absolutely fine. And there was this really interesting tweet which came up on my timeline and it was um, sort of a translation from a German interview which was on Reddit Um with Tuchel's assistant, Jalslo, something like that, mm-hmm. his name. And he he was saying the the biggest change he saw from a small club to a big club um, was that the most important thing was managing sort of their pers- the personalities and right, the egos yep. and things like that. And that, I think, is what Pod has got to sort of do. Like, we all know he's absolutely fine, ta- well... I think he's absolutely fine tactically and um, I've seen that previous clubs and sort of that's what Tugel sort of that was his demeanor that sort of went down for him. He was absolutely brilliant yeah. tactically in most games, but it was his sort of man management. It was sort of his dealing of the squad and the direction it was looking, which, you know, led to his sacking. Right, um, yeah. So I think, I think Todd's got it really bang on to be honest. And he's, you know, if we get the score we want in the summer and he gets his style of playing in preseason, I think we, we're going to see really nice things. So I think it's important to give him time in that sense, um, at least a preseason. I think the next time, really, we should be thinking about whether sacking Potter or not is a good decision. It's literally around the end of this year. I think you give him preseason, yeah. you give him the beginning of next year. And again, I don't need to see him like being a top of the league by December, you just need to see a good amount of progress. You need to see less progress on the pitch, off the pitch, you know, style of play, things like that. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. There's, you know, I'm going to bring it up because I, I, I don't know how reliable they are. I, 
I've heard a little bit of this as well, but there's been reports of some players sort of being a bit unhappy with him and stuff. But my question to you is, can you really be that surprised? Yeah, I, I, I was getting ready to say that there is going to be no team in the world or any organization out there where there aren't unhappy members, um, at least at some points, right? I think people kind of think just because a player is unhappy that they stay unhappy. Um, you know, your happiness is a fluid thing, right? You could be unhappy about a certain situation and then something changes and now you're fine and you're not an issue anymore. Um, especially with the amount of people we have in the squad, it's it's not surprising at all. And even next year when we have a better number and more of the players we want here, it, it would be honestly shocking if we went through the whole year and there wasn't a report about someone being unhappy about playing time. That's just how it is. They're professionals. They all want to play. Some of them understand their role a little bit better than others, but it, it, it's tough. They're all competitive and they all want to play. And, and I think if you go back and you listen to, um, I'll, I'll use Pat Riley for an example. Uh, he used to coach the Lakers um, with Shaq and Kobe and then coach the heat a little bit when they won in 2006 with Dwayne Wade and Shaq as well. Um, he really talks about how in championship teams, after you've won for a while, ego starts to creep in. And that's why you kind of have to keep the team fresh and keep getting new players, or you just have to manage that. And, and really, at the end of the day, you know, all the managers at top clubs know tactics, um, you know, some better than others, obviously, but they all have some tactical understanding and efficiency. Um, the big thing is being able to manage people and manage egos. And I think that's something that's a trend um, that's going to be even more prevalent in the next couple of years. Um, you can't manage people. And I, and I tweeted this uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago, you can't manage people like you used to the, the Tuchel and Mourinho and Conte types of managers that those, I feel like the younger generation doesn't respond to that. Like they, like they used to. You kind of need someone who's more in your corner, more supporting, um, you know, a little bit more positive reinforcement, stuff like that. Um, so you're going to see more managers like Graham Potter in those higher positions just because of the natural shift in, in the way you manage people. So I, I think that's honestly the biggest draw towards Graham for Todd. Um, they understand that. They've done that with the Dodgers, um, that manager. Um, I don't think had any experience in, in management or very little before mm. he, before he was the Dodgers manager, actually. Um, he was a former player, um, had won um, some championships before. Um, and, and so he was always a very, from what I heard, he was a good locker room guy as a player. Um, and so I imagine he's kind of very similar to, to Graham Potter as a, as a manager and just being someone who, you know, gets on with the players and, and understands them and, you know, is very approachable and able to talk to those things are super important. Um, and, and in my opinion, just as important as tactics. Um, I know other people may feel differently, but that's my opinion. Yeah. And I, I think that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting situation we're in because sort of Chelsea fans have never, really ever seen anything like this happen yeah. before with them and I think that is the main reason for most of them being very upset and I get I get you like 
you're used to seeing, you know, Chelsea win every, you know, at least two out of three games. You're used to seeing a manager sacked if they lose four out of five, um, things like that. But I think, you know, there were always there would always there was always going to be people who wouldn't be able to adapt from Abramovich to um, to Todd and from Tuchel to Potter. But my 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 upcoming point, which I'm going to say, is more targeted at the people who understood the need to give time to Potter and have now switched sort of against him. I'm like, that's a that's, you know, a few months ago you were saying, good, let's give him time, and you sort of <laughs> joined in with the others of, oh, he's no longer good enough and he can't handle a big club and he things like that. And I'm like, you, I don't think you can say that yet. You can maybe <laughs> yeah. say that in twelve months' time, but. Mm-hmm. It's literally been five months, and if you were willing to give him time, then then you shouldn't not let two losses in fifteen games. Sorry, two losses, Volley oh, that would be good. Be two nice. wins, yeah, two wins in fifteen games get to you. I get it does get to you because emotionally, you know, football is an emotional game, and no one <laughs> likes losing. Like end off, so I get it. Like I, I think we all get it, and. I, I'm not like I think I was like say Frank in his first season when people were saying oh he mm. should go I was I was like what on earth are you thinking if you're saying right now oh I think Potter should go I'm not actually like that against you like I get where you're coming yeah, from I, yeah but I think the way I'm thinking is like you just have to give him time and like realistically not that we should be thinking this way but Again, is there anyone on the market to come in? No. And is anyone who really comes in going to do anything special in the next six months? No. So why not let's just keep Potter, see what he can do, and I'm sure he will show his qualities. Um, We have been underperforming um, in the sense that, for example, XG, I know I'm bringing it up, but (laughs) like... We have created multiple chances in the last few games and we definitely could have won all of them. So my question to you is, can you sort of, can you look at that as a positive? Can you sort of use this similar happening at Brighton where Potter struggled at times with sort of finishing chances and then all of a sudden it clicked? Can you look at Arsenal and Arteta where Arteta was also in the relegation, well, almost in the relegation zone, struggled massively, and then they've obviously turned it around. Can you look at these as examples for sort of light at the end of the tunnel for Graham Potter, or is it more, it's a separate situation? No, I definitely think you can draw similarities. Um, unfortunately, I do think, um, just just for some reason, there's people out there who think when you're comparing Potter to, you know, Arteta's early, um, beginnings at at Arsenal, they think you're trying to make it the exact same. Um, obviously, it's different, right? Especially when you compare it. Um, I do think there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel with with the performances. I, I think kind of what's gone under the radar is, <laughs> and I know this is it sounds like an excuse, but it's really not how unlucky we've been in the, in the past couple games. Um, if there's a couple more decisions or or situations that go our way i don't even think we're having this discussion um about him like this right now um i mean we were a a really 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 poor 
um, refereeing decision away from three points um, against West Ham. We hit the bar against Dortmund. We peppered them. Their goalie was was crazy. Um, we easily could have won that game. Um, and and you know even the Southampton match was really poor. Um, but even then they they saved the goal off the line. Um, so we could have left with something. Um, so that's that's a hundred percent gone under the radar. And finishing has been a problem that's preceded Graham Potter. Um, but it's also something that's been. Uh, I, I think with uh, Chelsea fans and their, and their expectations of Graham coming in, I think they kind of forgot about how it went for him at Brighton at the beginning of his tenure. Um, this is honestly very similar to how Graham Potter starts at clubs. Um, and, and obviously these, these results are, are not good enough. Um, me, I'm more concerned about performances in terms of results and and that Southampton one was was unacceptable and I think we all know that even people that Mm. are Potter in you know or want Potter to stay know that I think that's a misconception within the community that you know we're okay losing right nobody's okay losing um but what we do want to see is is not performances like that because that was that was poor and it looked like it had no heart or effort in it until at least this the second half um but I, I mean, I, I am seeing um, one, of, one of the things I touched on um, talking with a few people um, recently was the performances of, of our new signings. Um, if Now, they've gotten a little worse recently, right, in the last couple of games. Um, but seeing guys like Big Ben, uh, Benoit come in and honestly um, have a lot more positives than negatives. I know he made some mistakes against Southampton. But he, he's been generally pretty good. Um, you know, I think Noni has been really positive, um, good. Uh, Mujic shown flashes, right? He's somebody that's going to need time. Uh, we shouldn't expect him to come in and light everything up right away, even though his price tag. But we need to be realistic with him. And obviously, we have Enzo. I mean, I can't remember the last time we signed multiple players where we were like, oh, wow, we hit on that one. Um, maybe since... Uh, Costa, Fabregas, and uh, and Co. I know I'm gonna upset some people with that, um, but I, that was the intention. Um, we haven't made a couple of good signings like that in a long time, and I think we're heading in the right direction in terms of our recruitment. And you can see that with the types of players um, they are on the pitch, dual winners, um, the physical profiles of them. Um, you know, they can handle their own. I think. Uh, a big problem that preceded Graham was how weak our team was, um, especially in duels. I mean, I, and I think that's one of our biggest problems when we play, um, you know, the teams that we should be beating, the the games are a lot more difficult than they should be because those teams are a lot more physical and stronger than us. Um, And so they end up making things really uncomfortable because we can't hold our own physically out there. Um, So I'm really glad that we've started to recruit more guys like that. And I mean, if you think there's no progress being made, please just look at the names we've signed and recruited, um, because that in itself is is a sign of progress and that we're going in the right direction. 100 um, percent. A final point on Potter, not on Potter, but sort of on sort of the whole thing is the, the way I'm not the way I'm seeing it. But I, I, as you said, sort of there's the three last games of sort of there's been a lot of things to it, but like. 
if we had beaten Dortmund the three or four nil or whatever, which we definitely should have or definitely could have, um, you probably look at the recent form as in oh West Ham we were very close to winning we were robbed off a penalty Dortmund we've you know we're playing well in the Champions League because that's the only competition we left have to play for and oh Southampton was a one-off instead it now looks like oh West Ham we drew um Dortmund we you know we should have played so much better but oh no we fucked it we lost one nil and no so did we lose one nil yeah we lost one nil yeah one nil uh, and Southampton what was the score on Southampton? 1-0, 1-0. 1-0. Okay, for some reason I thought it was 1-1. We lost to Southampton 1-0, um, which again, obviously, as we've gone through, was an awful performance, quite literally one of the worst first halves I've seen in years. Um, so, so overall, all I'm going to say is, as we've gone through, there's a lot of context. He is doing, he is definitely underperforming. He is not doing yeah. as well as he should be, but... There's a lot of context to it. I think you've got to give him time. You've got to give him the preseason. You've got to give him the summer. Um, and and yeah, it's just going to be a thing where we will see what happens as time goes on. Um, that ends the Potter discussion and sort of well, he will be mentioned, I'm sure, for the in these next few things. And there's a few other things I did want to talk about. But before I do that, we are about to be joined in by Rob, who has coming halfway through because I thought there's still a bit more uh, to talk about and I thought why not he's available so Rob thank you for I guess coming on halfway through Rob no, thank you for having me um, keeping up my record of only showing up after we haven't got a result but I'm um, no, looking forward to discussing everything with you lovely stuff um, the first the first thing I did want to discuss was a player who I feel like we have discussed every single week for the past four years, and that is Mason Mount. Um, I'm getting fed up, and yet I still discuss him every single day because there is a lot to talk about him, and there's a lot of misunderstandings in a lot of cases. Nick, I'll come to you first. Mason Mount, it's... I mean, it's safe to say he is he is not in good form, is he? Right. Yeah, very safe to say that. I, 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 don't, I don't think he's been in good form for, for a good while. Um, it's really unfortunate because I don't know even when he was in good form if he was appreciated like he should have been. Um, I honestly think what's been going on uh, around the fan base and and the kind of responses to his performances is is, is very sad. Um, you know, it, they see the stuff like I'm sure he saw that picture with him. At, him and Gallagher and and the tweet was like two idiots ran on the pitch or something like that. They Mason and, and Connor 100% saw that tweet um, and they see that stuff. And I mean, just imagine playing for, for your boyhood club or the club you've been at since, you know, you were very young, um, you know, a dream come true. And, uh, you know, he, I'm not Connor, but Mason's given us a, a Champions League trophy and uh, for them to kind of, turn their back on you like that I, I think it can be difficult and I mean it's, it's tough when you feel like you have nobody in your corner right um, I, I think what would be best for Mason is something similar to what United did with Rashford I mean Rashford has honestly been one of the best players in the world recently um, and I mean his form before that was not very good um, and he kind of got this mental reset this break from the spotlight um, and it, and it really was healthy for him. So I think, um, it, that 
just something similar to that. I don't know if it has to be the same, um, but something similar to that would be, I think, very beneficial for uh, for Mason. Exactly. And I think especially while there's so much talk about the contract negotiations as well, um, I think it, it's absolutely ideal to leave him on the bench. Um, but, but yeah, Rob, any thoughts on his form? And then also just like, I don't know, for me personally, I feel like Potter, there was no need really to start Mason last game. Like, can we, is it, is it really difficult to leave him on the bench for like five games in a row? Um, he was playing well off the bench, like he was giving a little bit of an impact. He clearly needs a massive, massive break. And it just feels like he's playing at times for the sake of, you know, him being a good player. We all know he's a very good player, but he's an awful, awful form this season. And it just feels like we're forcing him in a bit too much. I, th- I think that's the word, isn't it? it? We're just trying to force the issue. And you, you can understand it from Potter's perspective. Mount, in theory, has been such a key player for us over the past few seasons that if there's one player you want to kind of get fit and firing that can hopefully kind of revitalise your season, it would be Mount. But no, I, I agree with everything you boys have said. I think at this point in time, you've just got to kind of remove him from the firing line take him out of the team, kind of build a team without him in there. And then once he's kind of either got his head straight or once the team are performing a bit better, then slowly start to implement him back in. But I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm not, I'm less confident that Mount will be kind of here in the next few years than I probably was a, a month or so ago, where it felt like a bit of a dead cert. Because I think this is a, it's a team moving at a lot of pace now. We've got new players coming in. I know it's early doors, but you've got kind of exciting talents like uh, Andre Santos coming through. Obviously, Enzo Fernandez is a huge player. The midfield's kind of going through a big overhaul. And if we think that's his long-term position, I say I'm not fully confident that there's going to be a slot for him if he doesn't buck up his ideas quickly. Because a lot of the reports coming out of late is that from a Chelsea perspective in the summer, either they sign a new deal or you sell him. So it's kind of time is time is running out a little bit. So maybe yeah. that explains why he's being kind of forced into the team with such regularity. But yeah, I, I worry for him slightly, but it's one of those where leave him out of the team for four or five games, try and get a bit of momentum back in the side once kind of frustrations and anger have settled down and the kind of environment's a little bit more stable, then maybe we start to see the best of Mount. But yeah, it, it's the worry for me is that his uh, dip in form has also coincided with him playing in what is arguably his best position. So there's a there's a slight fear from me that he might mm. kind of be left uh, surplus to requirements. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. I think if you asked me two months ago, I was, yeah, he's obviously going to sign the deal eventually. And now I'm thinking, ooh, um, what I could see happening is not sort of going against what Todd's been trying to do, but if they do come to a contract agreement, I just can't see it being six, seven years long. I can more see it being three to four. And I know that's sort of not what Todd is looking for, but I think it's a sacrifice I'd probably be willing to make with someone like Mason Mount. Um, because, you know, he is a fan favourite. The club loves him. And he's, as we said, has been massive for us in the last few years. And, I can also I get it from Mason's perspective as well. Like, as much as you know, he, as much as like he's, you know, as you said, a boyhood parent thing. Like, he probably deserve he he's seen what happened with Declan Rice and Harry Kane, and when they're signing these long deals and they go sort of get stuck at the clubs. Now, I'm not saying getting stuck at Chelsea is a bad thing, and I think it's very clear to see the direction 
Todd is going in, but you never know what can happen with these things. So I think that will play in his mind. And then secondly, as you said, like, is there actually a place in this team in for him in the next few years? You sort of look at the signings we're making and the sort of style of play which Potter is. A 4-3-3 isn't, we haven't really done it too much this season. And when we have, Mason's played in the eight. And as you said, you know, the big argument which we've used for Mason in the last few years for his dip in the form under Tuchel was that, oh, he's not playing in his natural position. He's played in his natural position and still looked not good at all. So if he's not playing in the number eight, you probably play a 4-2-3-1 as, you know, sort of what we've done this season, especially with Jao Felix performing really well. I suspect Chelsea will want to try and get him in the summer. Nkunku is coming in the summer at 10. If Mason isn't good enough probably to play as a, a six in a pivot, you're like, is there a place in this team? Do you do you generally just cash out for 60 or 70 mil this summer? So I think it's a, it's a really interesting situation with Mason. I think the most disappointing thing, I, I, I clocked it really in the last five games, is his, well, I knew it before, but I could really see it on the pitch and that his confidence is completely gone. Yeah. I saw, I saw him take like, I saw him even at one point in the last game, he was taking, he took like two extra touches when deep. I was like, like it was, for some reason it stood out so much to me. Like it was a complete shock. He like fully took on two extra touches for no reason. And I'm like, a year ago, he passes that on very quickly. And it's a really minor thing. Like, it's it's minor and it didn't have an impact on the game but it's sort of I realized that he's like he's very scared like when he's on the ball now even there was this pass down to when Chile made it down the line to Mason and I think a year ago Mason either takes a touch passes it back he takes a touch and tries to beat his man by coming inside instead he just got completely struggled off the ball and it was it was these minor things like that I was like mm, you can just tell he's lost all his confidence he's in a massive need of a rest and he's very stressed i think that's a right word to say it's a good word for it yeah i think you can tell he's stressed and the contract negotiations sort of lack of future or not lack of future but lack of certainty about his future must be getting to him as it would to any other player um so i think as we've said it's important to leave him on the bench, give him a rest. He's played a ridiculous amount of football. Um and it's a it's most importantly a mental refresh which he needs as well as a physical one. Um that brings me on nicely to the next point. Another player who has faced a lot of scrutiny um and it brings us into a nice discussion, but actually had a very, very positive cameo from the bench against Southampton in Kai Havertz. And I did want to speak about Kai, but then linking it to the point of this thing on the timeline where people are saying, oh, we need a striker. And I'll come to you, Rob, first, because why not? But my first sort of link point is, do you actually think we need a sort of typical striker? And secondly, I don't know. For me, like, I'm not being a massive fan of Kai Havertz, like in general, but I, th- I think he has quality and I think in the last f- sort of few months I haven't really appreciated him but I sort of watched that game against Southampton Dortmund West Ham and I was thinking as much as he's playing bad individually maybe he is actually a bit more important to the team than I first realised 
I think there's there's kind of two questions here is is one do you need an out and out striker in which I, I don't think that's as cut and dry I think we we need someone that can occupy those spaces but I think the the follow-up question is you just need someone there that can do a better job than Havertz on a consistent basis um and say so I've been quite vocal I, I still to this day feel like we're not playing Havertz in his best position but what is clear to everyone regardless of how much you rate him is that he, he he's not a nine and he will never deliver as a nine. And it's baffling to me how we're so far into his contract and we're still relying on that somehow. You're just never going to get that output. For me, with Havertz in, in the summer, I think you look to sell. Even if you think there's a player there, I, I just I can't see us ever playing him in a position, sim- kind of similar to what we're saying with Mount, where you're going to get the best out of him. It almost feels like the team's kind of evolved around him and he's going to slowly fall out of place. And given that he only has two years left on his deal, for me, I think if you can cash in, if you can maybe try and use that money for Felix, who seems like a much better fit, then I would definitely recommend doing it. But yeah, I don't know why we're still persevering with this Habits at nine. You see glimpses every now and then, but it's, it's nothing that you can rely on. So yeah, for me, I think it's probably time to kind of cut ties in the summer. Yeah. Nick, thoughts on Kai and then also I think well, one of the positives which we came from the Southampton game was Datro Fofana's sort of first half. Yeah, he was a bit raw. Yeah, he didn't maybe link up with the players as we would have liked. But on individual basis, I think he did pretty well. Yeah, I thought Fofana looked uh, looked very exciting. There's a there's a player in there. Um, he he needs a lot of nourishment and coaching. Obviously, I think that's part of the reason why he came off at halftime. I don't think he was doing. Um, what Potter wanted him to do in terms of positioning and and the runs he was making. I think he was dropping a little bit too deep um, and trying to, I don't think he was as much of a focal point as Graham wanted him to be, which is why I think um, Kai came on and we we actually played better because Kai was doing those things. I know it took a lot out of Rob to, to say that about Kai. So, so nice Rob. Um, Yeah. For me, I, I definitely think we need a new striker in the summer. I'm not too sold on Nkunku being, the, the main nine, if, if that's what we're planning on. I don't know if he's ever been a main nine in, in his career. I think he's always played off of somebody. Um, what I really want in, in a striker um, is, you know, not I'm not even really focused on the, on the finishing ability. I, I just want somebody who, who wins, uh, you know, the duels, who occupies the center backs a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's a great um, matchup going on later today in Kolomuani and, and Osiman, um, that that's going to be great. And both of those guys, um, just annoy and terrorize center backs, um, more than we've seen here than probably, I think Diego Costa was probably the last one that Murata was, was all right, I guess, um, a little bit similar to Havertz and, and just missing a lot of chances. And, and there are actually a lot of similarities between the two now that I think about it. Um, but, I think someone like Ivan Tony, um, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with him. Unfortunately, I think if there was nothing there, you would have. I think we honestly would have tried to sign him in January, because um, it seems like we tried to sign everybody in January. Um, but somebody like that who can just hold their own um, and and link others and bring others into the play, um, I, I really think Tony and and Kunku and Mudrik would be a good. Um, they play well together because um, they'd be able to. Uh, to make runs off a off a Tony and Tony would be able to find them a little bit, have them get in behind. I think that's something that we're lacking. 
in this team. And I think that's why Kai came on and had a good impact against Southampton. He's one of our only runners um, in behind. And uh, I, I think when Fofana was on, that that was a little bit of the reason why we were just not really able to get out of our half. We weren't really stretching them like we should have. And for all of uh, for all that you can fault Kai for, I don't think you can fault um, the fact that he at least offers. Um, he's at least a, a willing runner of the channel. So um, I think, it, I mean, if Kai continues to play like that, that that'll be nice. Um, but I still think regardless, we'll need a, a new option in the summer. Yeah, I'm sure we will be linked with multiple strikers. Some you named, Tony, Ozerman. Um A few rumours came out this morning about, <laughs> to be fair, I would not be against the signing. And it's quite funny because it is Brighton again, but Evan Ferguson got linked with us. Um, Did see that. As someone who we could look at. And he, again, he fits very much into the sort of thing the club would be looking at in the fact that he's a very young and talented striker. Um, and he's a good finisher, but more importantly, his overall play is very, very strong for someone his age. Um, so I actually generally would keep an eye on that one. Um, but yeah, I think we it, it got sent to me this morning by Matt, who's actually in the common group chat with Nick. But I know Rob and the other boys had a group uh, discussion on this in the other group chat. But it opens up the discussion of Romelu Lukaku. Like, does he become an option? I don't know what you think, Rob. I, I think the prevailing motive behind all of this is purely financial and I think when you're discussing things purely on a financial motive you're probably not it's not the most kind of football logical decision from my perspective I think that you've got a player there that you've spent 100 million on who (laughs) everything went terribly wrong we all know of the kind of fallout when he was here but whether you like it or not there's a very very expensive player who is very, very good in the right circumstances. That if Inter Milan don't want to take him, if you can't offload him without taking a phenomenal financial hit, then it kind of poses the question that, is this someone that you can utilise? I think as well, there's another aspect that I still don't think we're perfectly suited for him, but we're a lot better suited for him than we were when we first signed him. So... Part of me wonders whether we make that decision of going, if we can't offload him, if somehow you're able to repair those relationships with kind of fans, player, coaching staff and everything. There's a very, very good player there that we can utilise. But say, I I think the problem for me is that I don't think those issues are repairable. I don't think those bridges can be kind of fixed. So if it's me, I'm, I'm not doing it. But it's definitely one that I'd be interested to see if Potter considers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you raised good points. Like, ideally, you probably get a nice fee for him and just move on because he was it was a messy, messy situation. Um, but with the way he's been, with the sort of lack of money in Italy, it's are they really going to go for him? And if not, you are stuck with you said with a massive asset and. His main his main problem at his time with Chelsea was with Tuchel, whether um, we like it or not, and the way he was being used. So if he's open to sort of giving it another shot under Potter, I don't know, it'd, it'd, it'd be really, really interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm, 
I don't know. It's it's very interesting thing, but you could actually think about it for on and on. But that's something which I guess we'll find out in the summer, maybe in the next few months. Um. Okay, there isn't too much left to discuss in the podcast. A few small things. Ingolo Kante sort of was in the session for half of it today. They expect him to come back in March. Nick, that's going to be sort of massive for Graham Potter, to be honest, and sort of yeah. the whole club. Yeah, that'll be huge. And I think um, Law, Law yeah, came out with a, uh article saying he's pretty close to uh, re-signing as well. Yes, that did come out. That's massive news. And again, not sort of the deal we'd expect under Bowley with the sort of vision. But again, um, he's sort of got that world-class quality and it kind of makes sense. And I think actually he could be a really, really nice partner for Enzo sort of temporarily if we don't go and sign that defensive midfielder, blah, 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 um, in a in a sort of pivot or more in a back five. Um, so I'm really looking forward to return. He is a massive player. People forget that, like top managers, no, well, or any of our trophies in the last five years or whatever has massively been influenced by Angolo Kante. Um, and he is a top, top player. Um, Zhao Felix, I just, we sort of discussed him earlier on. Rob, the way things are going, do you sort of have to pay up for him? I don't think you have to. Um, I think there's been a lot of positive signs and I'll hold my hands up when he was first kind of rumoured to sign. I, I thought he might experience very similar struggles to what Havertz experienced. thought he might be a little bit lightweight, failed to kind of adapt to the Premier League. But in the main, I, I think he's been excellent. There's, there is such a talented player there that was immediately visible, albeit in the... Uh, on his debut, it was only for 60 minutes, but you were just immediately blown away with how good this guy is. I think for me, if he continues like this to the end of the season, I think then, yeah, if, if you can afford to, you pull the trigger on that. But it will be interesting to see how it pans out over the rest of the year, because I don't think he's necessarily the silver bullet that's going to fix the teams. I think we've already seen that there's slight, I don't want to say flaws in this game, because that feels really harsh over the small sample size, but there's enough to kind of evaluate in the summer and not go, yep, we definitely have to sign this player. Um, as it always is, it will be a case of whether it's financially viable. But yeah, I, I've been I've been super impressed. Um, the the big elephant in the room, as it were, whether you want to do this, is how he fares in the team with Nkunku in there. Because I think you've got a, a massive player coming in there and I think they occupy some very similar spaces. So that'll be an interesting one. But yeah, i I think if he kind of keeps us up until the end of the season, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we really tried to pursue that one. Yeah, it will be interesting. And the impact it has on other midfielders will be interesting as well. Um, I suspect Mason will be watching that deal very similarly because I don't, to be honest, I don't think you can play both of them in the starting lineup that consistently and that sustainably. Um, unless you've maybe played Phoenix out wide, but with the way he's playing, Felix likes to pick up these central spaces. He likes to drop deep and sort of dribble his way out of things. Um, so they're picking up similar spaces and Felix has been more influential. Um, so that is one to keep an eye on. Um, there isn't much else to, you know, more general news. Leo Castledine got called up to first in training. I don't think there's anything in that. It just sort of happened. And there was a game, there was a, he was in the PL2 game on Sunday, but he only got 20 minutes. So I imagine it's due to him sort of not starting for the 21s. Is that has actually led him to training with the first team. Um, 
But I mean, maybe maybe Aspi's sort of injury. I know Leo is a midfielder, and for, I know this may sound crazy, but he has played at right back and at centre back in the academy. Um, at points this season, he's shown to be very versatile, and I'm certainly not expecting him in squads. Um, I mean, seven first teamers can't even make the squad at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing that's sort of part of the reason he's been called up, just to sort of fill in for Aspi. Um, because as much as we have a 33-man squad, we still don't have a capable backup for Reese James. So that's the case we're at. Um, other than that, I think. There's not much else. Spurs on the weekend will quickly, very quickly get a lineup, and I don't even want to do score predictions, but if you want to do that, go ahead. Let's do with what you would do. Uh, Nick, if you want to go first, and then Rob, follow up. Yeah, honestly, uh, I I don't really hate saying this, but I, I would actually go to a back three for this game. Uh, I think they work well with... Um, they They usually actually match up pretty well with Conte. Um, so I would run Hall at left wing back, um, Benoit, Silva, and Fofana back three, and then with Reese obviously on the right. Uh, my two midfielders um, would be Enzo and, and Zakaria. Um, and then the front three would be um, – I would, I would try Felix at false nine with, with Mudrik on the left, and I think you have to start Raheem. On the right, I think he looked really positive against Southampton. And Rob. Kepa in goal, obviously. Mm. Uh, yeah, as that was going on, I, pretty much identical, except for I would go Chilwell at left wing back. I think every time we've played Spurs in the past, we've definitely had more luck against them when we switched to three at the back. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? A, a game like this, when it's against Spurs, could arguably be perfect timing for us because sometimes yeah. form and everything just goes out the window, right? It's a it's a London derby, albeit the first for quite a few of these players. Um, kind of all bets are off. So I'm perhaps uh, naively, quietly optimistic for this one. I think we do come away with the win. I don't think it'll be pretty by any stretch of the imagination. But um, yeah, no, in terms of lineup, I'm going exactly the same, but with Chilwell at left wing back. I'll say 2-1. I'll say 2-1. I think... That's what should have been the scoreline the first match, um, weren't for additional poor refereeing, uh, as usual. But I'll go two one. Chelsea. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think I have actually pretty much identical to lineups, and I haven't decided between Chile or Hall, so I'll stick with you two. Um, but yeah, I think I don't want to say it's a make or break for Potter because it's almost definitely not, and I don't want to say the fans are going to be completely behind him if he does go on to win. But a Spurs victory would do the club, would do the fans a lot of good at the moment. And it would really remove the toxicity we do have around um, the whole thing. But, you know, if we lose, it could get nasty. I still suspect Potter will be behind him and we'll see him over the next few months still in charge and things like that. Um, But... But yeah, I, I don't even want to think about what's going to be the reaction if we lose. So let's just say we're going to win. It'll all be fine. Um, I don't know who's going to score. Maybe Enzo will get his debut goal. Something like that. But yeah, Sakaria, I'm really looking forward to his return. Hopefully he gets a start. Um, Raheem Sterling was very, very good off the bench. So, you know, he's a top player again. Let's hoping he starts. Um, and yeah, a back five, I think, I think it does make sense. Um, as much as like, as you said, I don't really want to go to back five as soon as things go badly. 
it sort of suits our squad at the moment and we still haven't faced, you know, we still haven't fixed the problem of not having an out-and-out defensive midfielder. Um, so it sort of enables us to play for the back consistently and sustainably. So I say, going back to the five, sort of matches Conte, we, we do know how to play with the five. We've done it under two. We've done it under Tuchel very well. We've done it under Pot quite well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. That wraps up the pod very nicely. Nick, thank you very much for coming on. I think it's your debut, right? So it's yeah. an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. It was a blast. Uh, thanks for having me on. No worries. And Rob, a little 20, 30 minute cameo, but appreciate it as always. No, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Lovely stuff. Um, I'm Path. You can find us all on our socials. Go to the description, give us a review, share it with all your friends, but we'll catch you next time.